this Dallas offense, when, when they're rolling and they get multiple guys involved, they're, they're as good an offense as we've had in the NFL. If they can keep a lid on it, everything else falls into place for Green Bay to be able to play their style. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. This is the wild card preview episode. One of the best wild card weekends in recent memory, opening up the 2023-24 NFL playoffs. Goodness gracious, I can't wait. Like we keep saying, this is just the beginning. It's going to be a busy, busy January here for us leading up to Super Bowl 58. Stick with us for everything. We go four days a week. Please go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts or your NFL news. If you're an NFL fan, you need to be here with us over the coming weeks. We're going to preview Wild Card Weekend. We'll recap it all. Obviously, the Divisional and the Conference Championships and on and on and on. We'd love it if you follow us here over these next three, four weeks as we dive into it. It is the Wild Card Weekend preview episode, but we'd be remiss if we didn't start the show with the official news that Bill Belichick is stepping down as head coach of the New England Patriots. The wording they're using up in New England is that he and the New England Patriots have mutually agreed to part ways. Feels a little anticlimactic just because, hey, we've been speculating about it since October and we've been talking about it all this week. As soon as the Patriots were done losing to the New York Jets on Sunday afternoon, we figured this news was coming. Patriots waited until Thursday to make it official. And in typical Bill Belichick fashion, it it the press conference itself was a little bit anticlimactic. You know, I heard the Patriots were going live from Foxborough I ran to my computer to get a link to the press conference. You figure everything this guy has accomplished over the course of his career, this is going to be a 30, 40, 50-minute press conference full of reminiscences and and talking about the good old days and maybe some emotions. Bill Belichick had a quip about Tim Tebow to open the thing up, and the whole press conference took nine and a half minutes. Him and Patriots owner Robert Kraft both gave some statements Seems like a pretty amicable parting. Bill Belichick says he'll always be a Patriot, but that's it. Nine and a half minutes, and now he's off. The speculation has already ramped up that he's going to be coaching somewhere in 2024. We'll see where that is, but a run that I just really can't imagine we'll ever see again coming to a close in New England. We've been reeling off the stats all week. I don't know how deep we need to get into them again, but it bears repeating when you're the greatest of all time. 333 total wins as a head coach, second most in league history, only to Don Shula. Six Super Bowl wins as a head coach, another two as the Giants defensive coordinator, eight total championships, three-time coach of the year. My favorite my favorite new stat, because we could, you can do this all day with Bill Belichick, but Justin Sales of the Ringer pointing out, that Bill Belichick with the Patriots earned more first-round buys in the playoffs than 12 NFL franchises have postseason victories total. Just an absurd run of dominance. I deeply appreciate the fact that Patriots had their first dynasty in the early 2000s. 
went a decade until their next run in 2014. So that speaks to the consistency, the success that they had, even without other Super Bowl titles before they relaunched it in 2014, 16, and 18. Yeah, it comes to a close. It, it feels a little surreal, and that's actually what I talked about with our first guest of the Wild Card Preview. As we always do, we talked to Greg Olson. He's got Cowboys Packers this weekend, one of the best games of the weekend. But also, given the occasion, I also figure a guy like Greg, who spent as much time in the league as he did, Pro Bowl tight end, who better to chat with about the Bill Belichick news? So that's what we did. Talked some Belichick, and then we moved on into our first preview of the weekend, Green Bay at Dallas. All right, Greg, one of the games of the weekend, Packers-Cowboys, we'll get to it in a minute, but we're recording this very shortly after it becomes uh, officially official that Bill Belichick is on his way out in New England. We've been talking about it all year. We've been expecting it all week, but even still, now that we know it's happening, I mean, for starters, just what are your your first impressions about the GOAT himself uh, leaving New England? Yeah, I think anytime, you know, a, a legendary player or coach, you know, exits a place where it's really all we all remember. Obviously, Coach Belichick had a lot of, you know, stops prior, but everyone just, you know, everyone just kind of associates him with that Patriots brand, him and Brady and the Super Bowls and the success. It, it's just kind of what we all know him as, especially those of us of the last, you know, 20 plus years. So it, it's always hard to figure out, you know, how do those exits play out? And, you know, in, in the perfect world, you'd love to see these legendary coaches, you know, ride off into the sunset after a Super Bowl victory and and get their kind of swan song. But, you know, as we all know, in the NFL, very rarely does it end, um, you know, in a storybook manner. And, and I think that's kind of the case here, unfortunately, for, for Belichick, you know, the last couple of years have just not been what we've been accustomed to seeing, but I, I don't think any of that takes away from just the impact that he's made, you know, every player, every coach that you talk to, and when, when you bring up, you know, who would you want to go talk football with? Who would you want to go spend time with? I know getting ready for my first ever production meeting with him, I like really sat down and made sure I was prepared. I didn't want to feel like I was wasting his time. I wanted to feel like the questions were worthy of him. You know, that's that's just kind of the aura that that surrounds him. And I think anyone who's ever played against him or coached against him, you know, feels the same way. When 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 you're in the presence of someone who's at the all-time, you know, top of the all-time list, it's it's something that you appreciate and it's something that you don't take for granted. I promise I'm not trying to make you feel old because I'm right there with you. I like I feel like we're we're similar generation, but you as a player, like you were coming up in college when Pete Carroll was doing his thing at USC obviously what Nick Saban did and now Bill Belichick who's been in New England like you actually competing against these guys and and coming up during their these great careers I mean is it a little bit surreal to see all these pages getting turned it is and obviously I got to spend a year with with Pete out in um in Seattle back in 2020 so obviously the impact that he's made you know being one of only I think three coaches ever to win a national championship at the college level and then bring that success to the NFL, you know, there was always this concept, you know, could NFL coaches do college? Could college coaches transition to the NFL? And really it's been a mixed bag. Um, obviously Saban being at the top of the list, the all-time greatest college coach, obviously his quick little stint in the NFL, not, not exactly to the same success, but you know, Pete Carroll, you have to give him credit, you know, what he, for him to be able to bring that model from USC to Seattle and sustain it for, I think he was there, what, 14 years is, um, you know, bring, you know, 
won a Super Bowl, had multiple other teams that were capable of winning, capable of winning a Super Bowl, built one of the best defenses of the modern era. You know, and it's in it's in the talks for one of the best defenses of all time there with the Legion of Boom and that group that they put together. So, you know, in one week to have, you know, Nick Saban, the greatest college coach of all time, Bill Belichick, the greatest NFL coach of all time, and Pete Carroll, one of the few who's able to kind of put himself in that list of college greats and professional greats in the coaching realm is um it's it's a it's a strange week but uh you know we'll, we'll see what the future holds for all three of those guys what's well, all right i mean it, yeah i'm i'm gonna be processing it for a while but uh a full weekend of of wild card football should help with that let's get into your matchup i i mean it's hard to choose a favorite matchup in this weekend but uh, this one might do it where i want to start is obvious like the heater that these quarterbacks is on is incredible. I looked this up like Jordan Love and Dak Prescott combined have finished their seasons with 48 total touchdowns to six picks. You could argue these are the two hottest quarterbacks in the league heading into the postseason. What I want to do is, is flip it and say, you've seen both of these teams, both of these defenses have had their struggles at times. What do they need to do? to have some success against their their opposition, against these opposing quarterbacks. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think obviously going into the game, all the talk, and you know, we'll, we'll obviously get into it early in the broadcast about Jordan Love and Dak Prescott and the way they've kind of performed offensively. And we'll, we'll get into all that. But in my mind, the entire story of this game, I think falls specifically on Green Bay's defense. I think for Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur to continue to operate this offense the way they want, right, with the mix of play action under center, then they can get to drop back empty. They're, they're so multiple, they don't really have any tells. If you watched Green Bay's offense, you wouldn't say, okay, what style do they play? Well, one play they're under center, one play they're an empty gun, one play it's gun run, one play it's under center play action pass. LaFleur's really good at mixing it up. The, the point I'm making, though, is in order to play that style, in order to not just turn into a drop back game and say, OK, Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence just rush the quarterback because we got to play from behind. No one wants to play that style against Dallas. And I know that's not Green Bay style to begin with. So if Green Bay's defense can keep a lid on Dallas, which, again, is no is no small feat. This this Dallas offense, when, when they're rolling and they get multiple guys involved, they're, they're as good an offense as we've had in the NFL if they can keep a lid on it, everything else falls into place for Green Bay to be able to play their style. If it gets out of hand early and Dak, you know, gets the opening possession and goes down and score, and then there's a three and out, and then they if all of a sudden this turns into 14, 17, that that just really gets out of hand fast. So I think everything Matt LaFleur wants to do on Sunday is contingent upon Joe Barry's defense. They need to be the the Green Bay defense of last week we saw against um Chicago and and not the defense mm. that gave up 30 plus to the Panthers. It's a great point that you bring up. And I'm, I love the idea that what, I mean, you had, you had green Bay's season opener a lifetime ago, and then you get to check in on them on Thanksgiving. They play phenomenally. And now we're heading into the playoffs. How have you seen what they do evolve? It like, it seems like, like, obviously as Jordan love has become a better player, their offense has become a bit more multiple, a bit more, I mean, obviously more productive. How have you kind of seen what they do change as Jordan Love has has grown in, in confidence? Yeah, I, I think obviously Jordan Love is the is the story of the season, you know, his growth. He started out, he started out really good, as you said. We called their season opener. He looked great up in Chicago, and we said, Oh my God, Green Bay, they've got their third quarterback in a row. And 
he'll be the quarterback for 10 plus years. And then they kind of hit a little bit of a lull. And then there started to be a question mark. Okay. Is Jordan love the guy? It, and then he got as hot as any quarterback in the league. I mean, you mentioned the stats of him and Dak combined. I mean, him alone was like 16 touchdowns to one pick over the last eight games or 18 touchdowns. I mean, something absurd. 18, yeah. 18 yeah. touchdowns with one interception in eight games. In the It's just, that's obviously the story. But alongside that, the growth of these young wide receivers is, is just really unprecedented. I mean, they don't have a guy catching a pass aside from Aaron Jones at running back and A.J. Dillon. But as far as their tight end and receiving core, they don't have a guy on the field catching a ball who's more than two years into the league. And it's really remarkable the production that they've gotten from rookies and second-year players. And one of their second-year players, Christian Watson, hasn't even really played. So, I mean, it's it's really remarkable. I think the job that Matt LaFleur's, you know, what the job that he has done, his staff, taking this really young group and and bringing them to the playoffs and having the offensive production that they have. Um, you know, you got to tip your cap. It, it's been a, it's been a really, really job well done. We obviously knew that CD lamb was great coming into the season, but I don't even, even knowing he was an all pro, I don't know how many people saw this coming and it's easy to give the quarterback all the credit, but I'm, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Like, since week six, since they kind of they retooled their offense after they lost to San Francisco, this guy is on a streak of six straight games of getting targeted 10 plus times. Uh, I mean, he was targeted 17 times against Detroit. Like Dallas is not afraid to just get him the football by any means necessary. Is there any I mean, I'm going to guess the answer is no, because the guy's got 1700 yards. Like, is there anything you can do to mitigate? the way that he can just take over a game. It's kind of funny. We just talked about green Bay and, you know, they're kind of cast of young players and very talented, albeit, you know, albeit uh, inexperienced, but they spread the ball around, right. A different guys led them in receiving, you know, different games and different target shares. And they don't really have that one guy that the offense runs through, which I think is part of their success. And then on the other side, this is clearly the offense is clearly runs through CD lamb and, Quite frankly, it's hard to blame them. Um, obviously, I, I think he's the best overall receiver in the league this year. And I know Tyree Kill and Justin Jefferson, you know, in big picture, are obviously in that conversation. But I think what CeeDee Lamb is able to do week in and week out, the amount of variety of routes that he can run and the amount of positions that he can align in. You know, he's one of the rare guys that he can go play X receiver and Z receiver like a traditional Randy Moss and the guys we've seen over the years and be wildly successful, but then also come in the slot and run slot routes that don't necessarily always correlate with what you're able to do out on the perimeter. So, I mean, he's just a really unique, unique guy. And I don't blame him. Why, why wouldn't you give him the ball a million times? I think when, when Dallas is at their best is like a game like last week against Washington CD had 13 catches, but then Jake Ferguson's making third down uh, conversions. And then Brandon Cooks is catching touchdowns and he's taking the top off. Like when they can get the ball to multiple guys and CD lamb, then I think as a defensive coordinator, you just stand there and say, well, I don't know what to do. Right. I don't know what else to do. They, you know, they have so many weapons. So I think spreading the ball around for Dallas, I still think has to be a big part of their priority, um, you know, through the playoffs. But when you got a guy like CD, sometimes it's as simple as we just got to get the ball to our best player.
I just can't help but think I covered Dak as a younger quarterback and he used to like to brag that my favorite receiver is the open receiver. And I think uh, somewhere along the line, he realized the talent that he had in CD lamb and maybe adjusted that mindset a little bit. I want to talk, you met, you mentioned this. I want to talk about AT&T stadium. You've covered a couple games there this year. I mean, you know, Dallas played a close game against Detroit there the last time out, but we've seen these games that can get away from teams. And I, I can't help but think about how young Jordan Love's roster is. What what would you do if you're the Green Bay Packers to to limit the effect that that can have? Like you said, you know, if if you're if they go down early, if they get stuck in an obvious passing situation, I assume getting the ball out quickly, maybe utilizing a lot of play action is going to be a big part of that. How do you kind of overcome the effect that this environment has had on, on so many teams this year? Yeah. And I think, I think Matt LaFleur understands what he's dealing with, right? I think he understands he's got a roster full of young, excited, talented, inexperienced guys that have shown this year that they are not afraid. They they are, they are going to make mistakes. They're going to have busts. They're going to have mental errors. They're going to drop but I'll tell you what, they are not afraid to compete. And I think that's really been their calling card all year as to why they're even in this position, you know, really against all predictions, you know, preseason or midseason. I don't think anybody envisioned the Packers would be a playoff team, but nonetheless, here they are. And so I think that mentality will serve them well. I think the last couple of weeks, they've really been on a playoff run, right? It's been win in advance for the last couple of weeks of the season, no bigger than last week at home in Lambeau against, you know, a division rival bears team that had been playing really well. And frankly, you know, Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus are really coaching and playing for their job. So Chicago had a lot on the line last week and that was a playoff game for, for this young Packers off uh, this young Packers team. So at that, to that point though, you go to Dallas, you go to AT&T stadium it's a lot going on. It feels big. You're playing a primetime slot on Sunday afternoon. Matt LaFleur has got to get his team settled into the game early. He can't let them get caught up in the pregame. He can't let them get caught up in the notion that this is somehow bigger than it is. And that's challenging, but that's the job of the coach. And I, I think he really has a good understanding and, and he has the pulse of his locker room. And there's going to be some jitters. There's going to be some nerves, but He's got to find a way early in the game to create a spark play, to create they, – they've got to settle him down and weather the iner, initial storm because no team's better in the first quarter than Dallas. And like we said, if, if they let it – if they let Dallas win that first quarter significantly, it just changes the entire game plan going forward. Man, I got jitters, and I'm just going to be watching on TV. I mean, like, it's it's Dallas Green Bay, all of the history there – I think they're going to white out the stadium on Sunday afternoon. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't get better in the NFL than this. I'm, I'm super pumped. I hope you and KB have a great call, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Good talking to you. Can't wait to see what happens with the Cowboys and Packers on Sunday afternoon. Let's continue the preview with the Saturday night game. The Miami Dolphins traveling to Arrowhead Stadium to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Miami, 9-3 and three at one point this season, looking like a shoe-in to win the AFC East. Guess we're not going to call it a collapse. They did still make the playoffs, but they finish 11-6 and six after that hot start. They lose on the final night of the season to the Buffalo Bills. Fortunately, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. It is Arrowhead Stadium, but the Chiefs... Not enjoying their typical run of dominance, obviously. They're playing on wildcard weekend, which is not something that always happens in the Patrick Mahomes era. 
course, the big storyline with this game is the weather. It's going to be nasty in Kansas City. Temperatures at or below zero, depending on who you ask. Something like a negative 30 wind chill. Really happy I get to watch this one from Los Angeles. But I'm going to bring in some help for this one. Our guys on the NFL on Fox are not calling this game. They were still gracious enough to help me preview it. So with the Dolphins side of this matchup, I'm joined now by NFL on Fox broadcaster Adam Amin to talk all things Miami. All right, Adam, it feels fitting. I'm talking to a Chicago guy. You know a thing or two about cold temperatures, and that's the uh, that's the hype for this Dolphins-Chiefs matchup is a Miami team heading up to Kansas City where it's supposed to be zero, near zero at kickoff. And, I mean, all the stats are out there. Tua doesn't perform well when it's under 45. I think I heard... The Dolphins are 0 and 10 when when it's since 2017 when it's this type of cold. But hear me out. What do you think of my theory that the Dolphins run the ball pretty damn well? And maybe conditions like this, even if it doesn't sound right for a team from Miami, maybe they can thrive in this situation by just leaning into the run game. I think that's got to be a key part of it because, I mean, first and foremost, what is the health of, you know, Jalen Waddell? What is his availability going to be? Is he going to be able to be at 100% dealing with that ankle issue? So that that's first and foremost, right? This is a Miami team that was built off the explosive play. We all know that. The first thing you think of this year when, it, when you think of the Dolphins typically has been the pass game, has been Tua trying to find Tyreek Hill, trying to find Jalen Waddell. But all the elements of what makes Miami fun and what's made them explosive have been negated or mitigated a little bit in this last month, right? I think they lost three of their last five. Um, you know, trying to get back to what makes them explosive is their protection and the speed of the guys on the outside. It's not a, it's not a, a complicated formula for the Dolphins offensively when they're at their best and when they're healthy and when the conditions are ideal, right? Give to enough time. Tua typically gets rid of the football fairly quickly because the guys on the outside have such speed that they can defeat their, their defenders. And, you know, usually you get, you know, those 25, 30, 40, 50 yard plays out of it. When you don't know what you're going to get from the outside, when you don't know what type of uh, get off you're going to see from Jalen Waddle, we don't know what we're going to see defensively on Tyree kill, but I imagine we're going to see some bracket coverage. We're going to see some doubles over the course of the day you have to be able to do other things. Their running game was excellent this year for the most part, top five for most of the season. But how's Raheem Mostert feeling? How's Devon Achan feeling? Like those are the, the the key pieces for this running game. And the injury report was so lengthy early in the week this week that if they're at full strength, they're as good as any offense that you're going to put out there against any defense. The, the speed alone is scary. But if they're not at 100%, you have to be able to possess the football. You have to be able to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. You have to be able to keep drives together. And if you're not going to be the typical explosive Miami Dolphin offense that we got so used to seeing and so excited by, then what can you do offensively to negate some of the things that teams are going to try to do against you and to help mitigate some of the injury issues that you have? And it has to be running the football. It, it feels like a cop-out because at this stage in the NFL season, nobody's at 100%. Everybody has lost a good player or three for the season. But like you just said, I mean, the, the injury report for this team is insane. I mean, we've got Justin Houston and and who who's the other guy that uh Bruce Irvin. Yep. This is this is what's anchoring the Dolphins pass rush now. 
after losing Bradley Chubb and losing Jalen Phillips for the season. That's not to mention Xavier and Howard. You already outlined the situation with Raheem Mostert and Jalen Waddle. Like I said, I mean, this is a problem for everybody, but does it get to a point where it feels like this is just too much for the Dolphins to sustain? Yeah, the cop out thing is more so for the evaluation of, oh, if they lose the game, I can hear, I can, I can already picture and hear the YouTube comments. It's like, oh, well, everybody's making excuses if the Dolphins lose this game. Yeah, fine, whatever. I don't care. The game itself is what matters. And if they can't do the things that they typically do at a very high level, then what are they offensively? They are, they're a shell essentially of what Mike McDaniel wants them to be. So you have to be able to run the football. I mean, again, offensive line play is so key when you get to playoff time, especially when you get into closer games and you are thinking about trimming possessions down in the second half of the game and you want to be able to run the football. Is Teron Armstead going to be healthy? Is the inside guy going to be healthy? And then defensively, you made, you know, you, you mentioned two very important names for that group. Like no Phillips, no Chubb. You know, you're left with basically two edge rushers. You know, Melvin Ingram's one of them. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba is one of them. A couple of former Chiefs, of course, who've, who've been through that franchise and understand it. Uh, are they going to be able to generate the same level of pass rush that, that they were able to? Again, you saw some of the struggles of getting to the quarterback. They did get Josh Allen on a couple of picks in that final game but you saw some of the struggles of trying to generate the pass rush. Now there's a lot of good pass rushers on that team, right? They, they've had as good of a balance as just about anybody in the NFL. I thought Zach Sealer had a really good year. Christian Wilkins had a really good year. Raekwon Davis is a threat uh, from the inside. Andrew Van Ginkle stepped up really nicely as the season went on, but you have to be able to generate something against Patrick Mahomes. And then can you contain it? You know, I, I, I know you guys are going to talk with, with Chris about, you know, the chiefs and, and what they've done well and kind of focus on their side of things. But, you know, Mahomes has had to do so much more. It feels like this year because he hasn't had the same weapons around him that, you know, this season or the weapons that he does have have not been playing up to the, the level that we're used to seeing. So can you force Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket and then finish? You know, that's the other thing. And that's, that's something that Miami did so well for the first three months of the season, they were able to finish and that's why they were racking up the amount of sacks they were. That's why they were able to generate the amount of takeaways that they were because you get pressure on the quarterback, force Aaron throws, get a lot of interceptions. You're going to have to make Patrick Mahomes make some Aaron throws. And he has this year relative to where we've seen in years past. And he hasn't had that same quote unquote magic that we're used to seeing, but you have to finish plays on the defensive end. Something Miami did really well for three months, did not do particularly well for the last month of the season. It is really, it's fascinating to think like it's easy to be down on the dolphins the way the season is finished, but a couple of things to note. I mean, we, we all know how the chiefs offense has struggled and Patrick Mahomes has been incredibly open and honest about how much he thinks of Vic Fangio. They've obviously got a long history going back to Fangio's time in Denver. It's hard to imagine just because we've seen the dolphins over the last few weeks, but these guys get paid a lot of money to come up with good game plans. And if this chief's offense is frustrated, we probably shouldn't be shocked. At least we know what Vic Fangio does, right? Play that two shell play back. Don't give up the explosive play. Don't get beat over the top. And again, going back to the time when Tyreek Hill was in Kansas city playing Vic Fangio's Denver defenses, like the reason that you force Patrick Mahomes to try to keep throwing underneath is just to avoid the big play and I think if you're Vic, if you're Mike McDaniel, you're fine with that. You're fine with forcing 
Kansas City to have to be methodical driving the football down the field. And yes, you don't want to wear your defense out, especially when you're going to be put into pass rush situations. You want to be able to, like we talked about, finish. You want to get off the field. But you're willing to give up the seven, eight, nine-yard chunks as opposed to giving up the 25, 30-yard, 50-yard plays that Kansas City was so used to having in years past, less so this year, but still dangerous. Mahomes is still Mahomes, and he still makes that cross-field throw as well as anybody. And if you lose Travis Kelsey or Mahomes is scrambling out, his receivers still do a decent job of getting to where they need to go to make it easier on Mahomes. Vic Fangio is willing to let all that take place in front of him, in front of the defensive backs, in front of the secondary. You want to have to work to get nine yards? Fine. You want to work uh, to try to find somebody downfield and hope that we finish off a play and get to the quarterback and finish off a sack or force you to check it down and hope that you can rally to the football, likely Isaiah Pacheco, and, and kind of bring him down and give up just five on the play? Fine. Vic Fangio is willing to do that. Uh, if this is going to become a possession-based game, which Kansas City games haven't typically been in the playoffs, possession-based games, it's usually like shootout, slugfest, whoever has the ball last has the best shot. I think Vic is willing to make this a fine drive down the field. You want 11 plays to get a touchdown? Okay, we'll try to beat you quick on the offensive side, but I'm not giving up the big play to Patrick Mahomes, and I think that's been a general thought this year. Much easier to do when the weapons just haven't played as well for Kansas City. We know about the drop issues. We know about you know how much Kelsey has struggled. He still had almost 1,000 yards, but it was harder to come by, it felt like, this this year for, for Kelsey compared to years past. So that's, I think, what, what's in Vic's head going into this weekend. It's such a fun flip because I, – and I think you're right. I mean, if this ages poorly, so be it. But you come to expect so much explosiveness from these two teams. And there will be an explosive play or two. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sure. the NFL. Uh, but maybe this could be a situation where whoever gets that play – yeah. That is that is just enough to win this game because yeah, between the weather and between the injuries in Miami and the inconsistency with the Chiefs, if the winner of this game has more than 20, 23 points, I'll personally be pretty surprised. So I I I always enjoy when uh when teams kind of have to to use their curveball instead of their fastball, I guess. And I, I think that's what we're in for here. I looked at the line and I was like. Okay, so they, they think so too, right? I think the line was something like 44, 45, something around there. So, you know, the the folks who seemingly get it right on a consistent basis don't think this is going to be a particularly high-scoring game or the very, like, 22-23 game is NFL average. Like, they think that this might be a game where a team only scores 23-24 and wins. And I, it may end up being whoever gets the ball last in this situation does win the game, but it may come down to a methodical final drive it may come down to hey the one team is up and we're going to try to run the football for the final six minutes and burn out the rest of this clock and and move on to the next round i can't wait to see it yeah having having said all of that hey if if tyreek and rasheed rice want to blow sure. up for 400 Absolutely. combined yards that's totally fine with me so we'll see how it goes adam i really appreciate the time appreciate the breakdown man take care you got it, buddy. And on the other side of this one, let's turn our attention to the Kansas City Chiefs. Like I said, not, not a typical Chiefs season, but they did still win the AFC West for an eighth straight year. They won their last two games of the regular season heading into this one. My buddy Chris Myers 
of the NFL on Fox joins me now to preview what is going on on the Kansas City side of this frigid matchup. All right, Chris, the the cliche storyline with teams that that took some time off, right? Because the Kansas City Chiefs rested Patrick Mahomes. They rested a lot of their starters in that game against L.A. in week 18. The cliche storyline is like rest versus rust, right? Like, is it a good idea to take some time off? But when you can argue that the chiefs have been a little rusty on offense anyway, uh, is it maybe good for them to have taken some time to, to get some rest here heading into the playoffs? Yeah, I, I can tell you just from an observation standpoint over a couple of different decades and covering some teams uh, from, from Tony Dungy going back, you want to go back to Jim Mora. Uh, the, I, I'm not, and I, I've observed them. I, I'm not a fan of the, of the too much rest because I think you do get rusty. And I, I think, and, and they always tell you this uh, when they play a game, you know, there's nothing like the actual hitting and throwing and running. You can practice and do all the drills, but uh, you know, this is not a preseason and this is not a start of a season. This is one game and done. And so I, I think you need to keep that edge. I've, I've observed that. And I've observed some teams that were much better than the team they were playing, but they took that week off. They had another week off or so. And, and by the time, you know, they get into a game there, by the time they got back up to their game speed and their ability, uh, they were, it was halftime, they were down and they never quite made it back. So I get it. You don't want stars to get injured. Uh, and, and, but I think, boy, just you know, a quarter or so, maybe a half, and uh, you can't play at half speed. So go out there and play your best, but keep that rhythm going. I, I, I really have seen that in sports. These are rhythm guys, mental, physically, mentally. So I, I don't, you know, know if it'll count against anybody this time around. I mean, even the Ravens who have that. That extra week uh, and so to rest their quarterback where timing is so important. Uh, but in terms of the, of the chiefs, uh, you know, Andy Reid, Mahomes, they, they know enough about what they're doing. However, uh, their, their receivers and their passing game hasn't been very effective, uh, as you said, uh, even when they were playing on, on rhythm. So, so maybe this will help them. I don't know. That's and, and obviously we'll, we'll have to wait until Saturday to know for sure, but look, it's, we've we've been doing this with the chiefs all year long 44 drops on the season just haven't really been able to find a consistent option even by his very good standards travis kelsey is is not having the season that we're used to and now you throw in the sub-zero temperatures i mean this isn't going to be an occasion that lends itself to winging the ball around the yard anyway i mean how worried do you think the Chiefs should be about being able to find some semblance of offensive consistency? Well, I, I think it's a tough time to get it back. I mean, Vic Fangio is a very wise-minded uh, defensive coach for the Dolphins. I know you've covered a little bit of that side, or Will, and they, they have some injuries there. So I see this as a Pacheco, you know, run it kind of game. And where, you know, I knowing the competitiveness, uh, competitiveness, excuse me, of of Mahomes, if, if, if he'll keep it himself and run and turn into a running back on certain plays and certain situations. Uh, I, I just, you know, and I've, I've covered through the, with the NFL on Fox in the postseason games in green Bay, the, uh, you know, games at, uh, in, in New York where the temperatures were well below, it does affect, you know, everybody. And, and so, I, I mean, I sub zero, I think I was in 20 minus 20 on the sideline with green Bay when they lost to the Giants, when the Giants went out to the Super Bowl, one of their upset wins um, over over New England. And and so I, I it comes down there, and it's really defense and, and a run game and who protects the football the best. I know those are elements we always want to have, but it does affect what you said. It takes away the passing game. So maybe that neutralizes not only Miami, but it takes away the weakness that, that we've seen this year of, 
of Kansas City, which is their receivers and, and the uh, passing game, and then the percentages being down on, on Mahomes. We all know how, how good he is. It is amazing, though, that every offensive category, the Dolphins are better uh, than uh, than Kansas City. I don't know if people would have expected that to start the year. And even the numbers of, you know, of Tua uh, talk about, oh, uh, equal or better than uh, than Mahomes statistically. So, um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to have an effect, but I think Andy Reid and Mahomes are smart enough uh, knowing it and they have the home field advantage when things are neutralized this way. Uh, I think, however, I'm a big Raheem Mostert fan. Saw him run well with the 49ers. He could take over this game if the chiefs don't play their, their usual great defense. And that's where they win all the categories when you measure them statistically up against Miami. We talked about that with Adam Amin a little bit earlier in the show is the the irony if uh, if these two traditionally explosive passing attacks really have to lean on their on their running games to get through this and it that's the, the other element of this as well is it's funny the return of Tyreek Hill to Arrowhead Stadium in this in this loaded wild card weekend it almost feels like it takes a back seat when you talk about. Stafford going back to Detroit and Mike McCarthy facing the Packers again. It almost feels uh, like it's flying under the radar, but what, what do you, what do you expect? A, I guess, how do the chiefs deal with, with the, the game changing talent that he brings to it, but also maybe uh, the emotion of seeing a receiver who's done so much for your franchise in a year where you really haven't been able to get your, your passing game going. Well, I, I think they'll get over the the emotion and, and really want to take him out of the game and, and show from a chief standpoint, hey, you know, it was business, nothing personal, but, you know, we're, we're better off, even though we miss him, we, we, we're certainly better off than the team he went to. And you're right about the storyline. If this game was in Miami or the weather be a little bit better, I think this could have been top billing because he would be displayed, but it also... You know, it takes him out of, uh, just like we said, the passing game, we believe, with these frigid temperatures and the wind, and I've been there at that stage. He's uh, the, the, the passing game. So he even if you try to run him a little bit with those kind of temperatures in the field, you know, jet sweeps or getting him the ball how, however they'd want to, I, I just think he won't be as big a player in this as he would have been if the weather wasn't what it is. But it does look like, from a Chiefs standpoint, uh, to me, even though he's had his drops, uh, a Travis Kelsey kind of game. So where if anybody can kind of dominate, uh, you know, whether it's just a dump off and he powers through people or finds his footing, um, uh, this is where I see if Kansas City has the edge. And again, with Mahomes, who I think will take off and run when he needs to. Um, uh, I think that's, if there is going to be any success of the passing game, that's usually where it comes. And that's when the Chiefs are at their best. I mean, even when they had Tyreek Hill, Kelsey is still at least in, in the head of, Mahomes, the go-to guy in a, in a critical situation. And I think we'll see that even more evident if it has to be a pass play uh, on Saturday night. One way or the other, it's it's going to be absolutely thrilling, regardless of of what kind of script it follows. Okay, I, I got to put you on the spot. This isn't necessarily about the Chiefs and the Dolphins, but... Yeah. We we we're talking about the weather. Anytime the temperature dips to zero, it's going to be a major storyline in the game. And you, you were just talking about the Packers Giants game that you had a chance to cover. And that's that's such a legendary moment in playoff history. Brett Favre, Lambeau, Eli Manning, and the Giants. I'm just I'm just curious what you remember about that game because I remember it so fondly as this kind of shocking moment in, in yes. recent NFL history. 
Yeah, and the Giants went on to shop, right? So I, what? a couple of things stand out. Uh, the Hail Mary that the Giants got a touchdown right before the half, right, was a, was a big moment in, in terms of the score, those points later. The defense did a great job on, on Favre. He, he had some awkward throws, but on that uh, sideline, the Packers side, a Plaxico Burris, for some reason, they had trouble covering him. And I remember him running by the, the Packer coaching staff and, and, and yelling, they can't cover me. Whatever you try to do, they can't cover me. You created uh, a little bit of angst, but um, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of those moments. And again, I mean, it was, we, we pour a cup of hot coffee to try to show the audience before the game. And by the second quarter it was frozen like a popsicle. I mean, it was really as I'm not complaining, but as a sideline reporter, your, your, you know, your clothes, your electric vest, you could write things down. It was, you were just trying to keep warm. You're sharing the heater near the, near the team, the sideline that you're covering. Uh, it was it was one of those Pam Oliver had, had the Giants uh, sideline. Uh, but I love, just as a guy who's covered football and grown up an NFL fan or football fan, to me, this is, and I know we're going to have some great matchups, you know, the Rams and at Ford Field, you're under, under a dome and even the Cowboy Packer game. But I, I love a good outdoor, you know, on the field weather kind of game, whether it's snow, rain, sleet, feel bad for the fans. And that's one thing too, I guess we should think about it. I wonder if the effect chief fans are loyal, how many will be there and what kind of, cause that's a noisy place. Uh, what kind of noise they'll be able to create in, uh, for how many that show up in these kinds of temperatures, especially being a night game. Right. Um, so uh, I think that'll have an effect, but yeah, that that's one of those, those many uh, postseason sidelines that I've been on. I was there, you know, for Fox when, Mahomes and Andy Reid won that their their Super Bowl, their first together when they rallied to beat the uh, the, the 49ers. So those two, and they trailed, remember, in that game a lot mm-hmm, in that, yeah. that playoff. Uh, so this could be a, a, another one of those magical runs as a wild, you know, as a, not a wild card, but as, as not a team that's playing at home uh, all the time. This might be their last home game, even if they advance. So some some great memories, but those outdoor weather games in the playoffs, boy, they have, they have a special feeling. That, I, I'm with you, man. And look, there's... I, I get it. It's it's fun when two good teams get to play in a dome. You get to see everybody at their best, but I'm just I'm a sucker yeah. for the weather. I'm a sucker for the weather game. And I know it's gonna be miserable, but Chiefs Kingdom is going to show out. I bet half of them will be yeah. not properly dressed for it, if I had to guess. <laughs> uh, I'm re- I'm really looking forward to it. Chris, I appreciate the time. I, I hope you enjoy as well. Yeah, no, I will. And I, so that means whoever in the passing game might, they might surprise us to be able to pull off some effective passing, which would make the game even more wild. But uh, it's great to talk about it. Yeah, it's a great time of year to, to enjoy the, uh, the NFL, the postseason, and the weather. Let's keep it pushing with the Sunday night game. Call it the narrative bowl. I mean, it's, it's a good matchup on the field, and we'll get to that. But a game with storylines that you just don't see come around very often. Even, even with the script writers in the NFL, this is unique. The Los Angeles Rams, quarterbacked by Matthew Stafford, going to Detroit to face the Detroit Lions. Surely, if you're listening to this podcast, you know all about the trade. Those two quarterbacks swapping places. Sean McVay in L.A. deciding Jared Goff couldn't reach the Rams' ceiling. He turned out to be right. Traded for Matthew Stafford, and the Rams won the Super Bowl that year. But now, Jared Goff leading a renaissance in Detroit. Matthew Stafford, along with Calvin Johnson, were really the only bright spots in this franchise's history after Barry Sanders. Stafford, good enough to get the Lions to the playoffs three times during his career there after being the number one overall pick. Never got a win, 
and never got a game at Ford Field. Sunday night will be the first time a playoff game ever happens there. That's thanks to Jared Goff and the team that Dan Campbell has built around him these last few years. The drama of it all. And, oh, yeah, on top of that, it's actually two really exciting offenses, two really good overall teams. Might be the game of the weekend. We'll see. That's the great thing about this wild card weekend. They all look really, really good on paper. So I'm joined now by my buddy Eric Williams of FoxSports.com, our NFC West writer, to preview Rams versus Lions. All right, Eric. Rams traveling to face the Detroit Lions on Sunday night. It is the 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 biggest storyline game I can remember. And that's saying a lot since Packers Cowboys is happening on the same day, but <laughs> you've got Matthew Stafford going back to Detroit. You got Jared Goff trying to stick it to the team that traded him away. Yeah. Lions first playoff game in 30 years. It goes on and on and on and on first yeah. home playoff game, I should say, but you actually, we were talking about this earlier in the week and you pointed out something to me that I hadn't thought about, which is the Sean McVay angle of this whole thing which is that he's probably a guy that really wants to avoid losing to the quarterback that he decided wasn't good enough for his offense right yeah no doubt had kind of reached a ceiling in his offense he didn't feel like he could be a he didn't feel like he had the full inventory of the offense with golf running it and that he needed kind of a guy that could create explosive plays that had the arm talent to do all the things that he wanted to draw up in the passing game. And he found that in Stafford, no doubt. You know, he gets out and goes Stafford, and uh, you just see another level of that offense that McVay was able to reach with Stafford leading it. And now he's going to be facing the guy he kind of moved on from uh, in the postseason. And so, you know, that's kind of an interesting storyline. Of course, McVay said all the right things when we talked to him this week how he's really impressed with the the growth and development that he's he's seen from Goff and and you know expected Goff to kind of make make those uh, leaps in development, uh, but let's not get it twisted. You know, Goff leads the league in turnovers since 2017, 107 turnovers. Um, he still gives the ball away at times, and so when you talk about the Rams, they're very familiar with Goff and 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 the way he plays when he's pressured. They practiced against him on a regular basis. When you talk about Aaron Donald, uh, Jordan Fuller, and John Johnson, some of those safeties, and some of those defensive coaches, when you talk about Eric Henderson, their D-line coach, or Shula, their linebacker coach, Aubrey Pleasant, their DB coach. So they have intimate experience and knowledge in defending golf. And so it'll be an interesting chess match in terms of, you know, how they're going to play him, how they're going to combine Russian coverage and and can they they make Goff give up the football? I think it's it's a pretty well known trope by now. Is I mean Goff not the most mobile guy? Doesn't react the best to pressure. I can't help but think the Rams are pretty uniquely equipped to do that. Um, obviously, Aaron Donald needs no introduction, but the other guy might. Kobe Turner turning mm-hmm. in a hell of his season in his own right. Could that be, and look, I mean, the the Lions offensive line is fantastic, but that could be a matchup that really does a lot to determine this game is how well they deal with that that pressure right there in the interior. Yeah, along with Kobe, uh, you know, Bryant Young, who has eight sacks, another rookie coming off the edge. So you're right, Aaron's going to get doubled or tripled. We know that, right? 
So it's going to be up to those young guys to win their one-on-one matchups in order to create pressure uh, when, when Aaron is kind of getting taken out of the game. And, and you're right, Detroit has one of the, the better offensive lines up front, and they've done a nice job of not only protecting Stafford, but the run game, you know, one of the top running games uh, in, in the league. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they choose to uh, attack the Rams defensively. This was this was before the playoffs, but you wrote a really good story a week or so ago about Sean McVay and uh, just kind of the the rejuvenation that he's felt it with the Rams this season in a year where you know nobody was really very high on this team heading into the season. Is it a simplification to point out the number of young stars that he has developed? I mean, that probably does a lot to increase your enjoyment of your job, right? Yeah, 40 first-year players on the 90-man roster when they just started, uh, an NFL high 14 draft picks, and then you've seen kind of the maturation uh, of these young players. You know, I mentioned Kobe Turner, obviously Puka Nakua on the offensive side of the ball. Steven Avila probably doesn't get talked about enough, but him playing TCU, left guard, yeah. it's been huge in terms of just what they've been able to do to kind of bring that offensive line together. Um, so – Give credit to McVay. Uh, he seems like he's having a lot more fun than than last year, but five and 12, 10 and seven that probably has a lot to do with that. One of the things I talked about going into it and one, one of the reasons I was a little more bullish on this team than others around the league is they have one of the more veteran coaching staffs in the league. Uh, and you talk about Raheem Morris on the defense side of the ball, former NFL head coach. Uh, he brings in Mike LaFleur, who they coach with Shanahan and obviously struggled as the OC with the Jets, but but has some some acumen as a coach in the league uh, and brings a different perspective as the offensive coordinator in terms of dialing their running game, which they've had a lot more success with, a lot more gap scheme, and you've seen Kyron Williams kind of explode. Uh, Chris Shula is a good positional coach at, at linebacker. Eric Henderson is one of the best defensive line coaches uh, in, in the league. Aubrey Pleasant, uh, DB coach. Uh, Eric Yarber, receiver coach, could kind of go on and on. And I think just having good teachers at those positional uh, coaching positions has really helped that that young group mature a lot sooner than maybe people expected. So I get why they're quarterbacks, but Goff and Stafford are going to hog all of the spotlight for this game. But I think an interesting part of it is actually how well both of these teams can run the ball. The duo of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs has been awesome. The Lions offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. But Kyron Williams and this Rams running game have been really incredible in their own right. How do you how do you see that element of this on both sides really having the potential to swing this game? Uh Lions are pretty good at stopping the run. You know, I think that's one of the things that jumped out to me. They were top five in terms of uh, their run defense. Uh you you know, you're talking about the Lions playing at home. Um, you know, that's obviously going to have an effect in terms of the environment, although, you know, the Rams have a pretty experienced team in terms of their, their cornerstone players. Um, but you're right. Who kind of wins that line of scrimmage and affects how the game's going to be played is going to be critical. I imagine if you're the Lions, you want to run the football and keep Matthew Stafford off of the field. If you're uh, the Rams, you want to get up early and put pressure on the Lions at home, you know playing their first home game in 30 years and, and how they respond. And to me, that's kind of the, you know, when, once we get to it, that's the critical point to me is you look at the Rams, they're an experienced team that have kind of been there before 
You look at the Lions, a lot of players that haven't been in this situation before, how are they going to handle that rider stage being in the postseason? That's a really good point. And I was thinking about it, like, you know, the, the Rams, there might not be many of them, but some of their best players know what it takes to win a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And outside of Jared, Jared Goff, obviously, but this is a Lions team with a lot of guys that haven't been on this stage. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson Gardner is another one that comes to mind, was just mm -hmm. in a Super Bowl last year. But by and large, this Lions team is in new territory. And on top of that, they have the expectation of trying to to cap off an 11 win season, you know, you don't you don't want this to end with a one and done. Nobody with with 11 plus wins wants that. How do you, is is pressure an element for the Lions? Which that feels like a weird thing to say about Detroit, but it feels true. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I feel like the Rams are playing with house money. I mean, nobody expected them to to make the postseason, let alone win games, and so they can kind of go in and 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 play free and and lose. Um, and, and not have those concerns about being stressed or under pressure. Although obviously once you get in the postseason, you want to do well when you get there. Um, you know, and then look at the, the, the coach, Sean McVay, seven and three in the postseason has been to two Super Bowls, kind of been there, done that. So I think understand and, and know how to get his team ready mentally for what they're going to face over the weekend. So I feel like that's a big advantage for the Rams. And it's one of the reasons why I feel like they're, the most dangerous team heading in the postseason seven and one in their last eight. The only loss came against the Ravens on kind of a fluky punt return in overtime. Otherwise they went toe to toe with, I think the best team in the league. If they're able to get past this one, you know, again, don't, you don't want to, you know, give them W's. They got to go and earn it. But if they get past this one and they're able to go to the Niners, a team they know very well, a team that they 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 played pretty tough in week two. I'm going to skip the week 18 game because you know pretty much backups were playing. I think if you're Shanahan, you're you're a little concerned. You'd you'd rather not see the Rams next uh, in in their first game. Divisional playoff matchups are always dicey. I don't care who's had the better season. So yeah, not going to get too far ahead of myself. I like it's very it's tempting. It's very tempting to hop on this Rams hype train, and I I'm a big fan of this team. They're so fun. But I, I'm also really excited to see how the Lions rebound. I thought it was important for them, even if it was a meaningless game, even if Sam Laporta got hurt. I thought it was important for them to finish the season on a winning track. I think they got plenty of confidence. Is there, in your mind, an X factor? If I'm forgetting something, is there is there a sneaky aspect of this matchup? Uh, Cooper Cup's a pretty good player. You know, last time he was in the postseason, <laughs> I mean, he, he pretty much did what he wanted. You're talking about a Super Bowl MVP, and, and I don't think people are talking about him enough. I mean, obviously, Puka's getting all the headlines because he's, you know, the single-season rookie receptions leader, yards leader. He's really been the guy that's kind of carried that offense. But, you know, Cooper's getting healthier the second half of the year. And again, for this team in big moments, he's the one that kind of shows up and, and plays well. So to me, it's kind of weird to say Cooper Cup is an X factor, but he's just kind of sneaking there underneath the radar a little bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big game. I mean, as far as like an all pro caliber player can be, it does feel like Cooper Cup is is officially under the radar at this point. So we'll see how it plays out. I just, I, I'm so excited for this game. I hope it delivers on the potential. Eric, between between this game and then obviously the Niners start their postseason trek next week, 
Uh, I'm confident we will be talking to you again soon, man. Enjoy the game. I really appreciate it. All right, my final guest of the show today is actually part of these NFL playoffs. Ravens starting safety Marcus Williams was kind enough to join me. Baltimore earned the bye week. Why not drop by the NFL on Fox podcast during your downtime? Had a chance to catch up with him, not just about his season and this loaded Baltimore defense, but also on his division rivals, the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers, beginning their playoff journey this weekend. Check it out. All right, Marcus, first of all, I appreciate the time, man. I mean, I know y'all have the bye week, but I'm sure you still got plenty of stuff going on right now, so I do appreciate it. And that's that's actually where I want to start is – what I think is crazy about y'all's season is y'all were one of the last teams to get a regular bye week. Like y'all played all the way until December until you got some time off. And now you get the playoff bye week as well. Like just how good does it feel to have a minute to catch your breath before what comes after this? It feels good. Uh, you know, going through going through the year and not having to buy, you know, it's 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 tough. But you know, our guys, we have a good group of guys who who battle week in and week out and we we know we never flinch, we never blink an eye and it's 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 a special group we have here that everyone is is not worried about when the buy comes, but you know, we put in that work to to get this buy uh on the special I mean on the uh playoff season. So that's that's always a good thing. So the other thing, too, is I think when a, when a team gets the one seed and you get all the way to 13 wins, I think maybe people think that, like, oh, they, they caught the breaks this year. They got lucky this year. But y'all dealt with so many injuries on this team, man. Like, my gosh, you missed time. Marlon Humphrey missed time. Odafe missed some time. And that's not, I mean, that's just the defense. Like, then you talk about losing Mark Andrews, you lose Keaton Mitchell. Y'all have overcome so much. I mean, what what was the what was the key to handling the amount of attrition and adversity that y'all did this year? Everybody, everybody on our team practices and and approaches each game as a starter. So when guys go down, it's the next man up mentality. We know what each and every one of us could do. And it's just it's just that type of that type of team. We have everybody really locked in and focused. And whenever there's a guy that goes down, the next guy comes in and there's no there's no drop off. So I think we have a special team. Um, our, our coaches put us in position to to make plays and and to do our job. And I think that's that's what sets us apart from other teams that may have injuries because we we just do do what we have to do. And everybody's really locked in and focused to to win these games and no matter what, no matter who's in, no matter who's out. So this is your second season in Baltimore. You come over from new Orleans. I'm just curious you as a vet, I mean, you've been around the league for a while before you got to Baltimore. Was there a moment it, it could have been last year or this season, whatever, but you talk about the, the amount of talent that y'all have and, and the mindset. Was there ever a moment where you looked around and you were like, oh, wow, we we have that level of talent. Like, we got we got the guys here to to put a run like this together. Oh, I mean, before I got here, I knew there was already a group of guys that were here and that that had a lot of talent. You know, the, the, these two teams, you know, the Saints and the Ravens, they, they're they always going to be talked about about making the, the postseason. They're not not every team in the league, you, you think, and going to say, oh, they're going to make it to the postseason. But those two teams you you think okay they have a lot of they have a lot of talent they have a lot of good guys they have a culture they have a mentality and when you when you look from the top to the bottom i think we we do a good job of, of getting the right guys in our locker room and 
I think that's what sets us apart. I'd like to talk about your D coordinator for a sec, if we can. Mike McDonald. Uh, I mean, it, the the stats speak for themselves. Y'all have the best defense in the league at virtually everything. We know Mike. He's already been requested to interview for two head coaching openings this this past week. I know y'all y'all got a job to do right now, but. For NFL fans that are that want to know more about Mike McDonald, what he's all about, what what can you tell us about him, not just as a coach, but as a guy too? I think he's just a passionate person. He he locks in, he he studies a lot, and he he does everything in his power to make sure we're in good position to make plays. And he he's also a good listener. He he can listen to us. He doesn't he doesn't have a, a big ego and and if there's something that needs to be fixed, we, we're able to talk to him and, and we're able to fix it. So I think just him coming in and and helping us continue to get better each and every day and each and every week and putting a good game plan in going into the game is, is definitely positive for us. And being able to listen to him and hear what he has to say and just just hearing from what I've already known to to also hearing what he knows already is like, wow, it's like we, we could continue to get better. And I don't think he's worried about anything but these games ahead of us. He's not worried about a, a coaching job somewhere else. He's worried about what we have to accomplish this year. And I think that's a, that's that attests to what type of person he is. Speaking about your defense specifically, just watching y'all, it seems like versatility is such a huge part of what y'all do. Like you and Kyle Hamilton can line up everywhere. Marlon Humphrey can do a little bit of everything. You got linebackers doubling as pass rushers. You, like it, you never know what you're going to get when you turn on a Ravens game. How much does that, flexibility, versatility, make y'all a tough team to get the better of? It, it, it keeps the offense on their toes. They they never know what we're going to do. They never know where we're going to be. So they they have to game plan. They have to figure out what they could do to beat us. And with the guys with versatility, you just never know what they're going to be. They could be blitzing. They could be covering. Uh, you just never know. So being able to be in those positions, being able to have the guys to do that, it's it, it definitely special. How much fun is that for you as a player? Like, you know, knowing Mike could dial like anybody up on a blitz at any time or something like that. It's fun. I mean, when when you have a team who who's unselfish and wants everybody to make plays, I think that's that's what's that's what stands out with us. I think everybody can make a play at any moment and being in those positions to make those plays and have those opportunities of why we have so many pro bowlers, why we have um these guys making plays each and each and every weekend. It's just, just amazing. Okay. So y'all are at home this weekend. You wait to see who you're going to play, but the AFC North, first of all, all four teams above 500, which is incredible. And then two other teams were wild cards from your division. You got Pittsburgh playing Buffalo. You got the Browns playing Houston. Does it make it more interesting for you knowing that one of those teams could be coming to Baltimore and obviously a team that you know really well? Uh, we don't care who comes to Baltimore. I mean, it's, it's somebody got to face us. They got to come to us at the end of the day. And there's no fair dodging. Uh, we're going to lock the gates. And when, when that time comes, you know, that's that's what it is what it is. We're going to they're going to have to they gonna have to come up against us. Yeah. Fair. I mean, best best defense in the league MVP quarterback. I would say, yeah, that's probably the right way to look at it. But I would if you can, I would love your help. Just a little bit previewing this weekend because y'all did y'all just played Pittsburgh and I know I know y'all didn't have all your guys I get it but this is still a team that y'all know really well 
what what was your impression of that of that game last week? And just what are your thoughts on how the Steelers are playing right now, having gotten into the playoffs? I mean, the Steelers are the Steelers. Uh, they, you know, they did what they had to do to win the game last week. Uh, but shoot, I mean, they got now they have to play the Bills. We'll see what happens in that in that game. I think. I think the Bills are a good team. The Steelers are a good team. So, I mean, I can't really tell you what the outcome of that game is going to be and how they're going to play. I mean, that's that's up to their preparation. That's up to what they do on this week and what type of what type of scheme they dial up. So, that's all I can really give you from that. From that. And well, and I'm going to guess it would be even harder for you with the Cleveland Browns. It's been a minute since y'all have played them. So much has changed for them. What just from what you've been able to see from afar, what are your impressions of, of what they've been able to do since Joe Flacco got there? Yeah, I think they've, they've been able to do a good job. I mean, to even win all these games without their star quarterback and then have Joe Flacco come in and help them, you know, get, get to the postseason is is definitely a a good thing for them. Um, But at the end of the day, now they got to go up against the Texans and see what happens with that. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't really know. I don't really know how, what, how they're going to face off against them. I can't tell you. But, shoot, it's going to be – it should be an exciting weekend, to say the least. So, and I get – look, you've earned the time off. What's what's your approach this weekend? Like, are you dialed into all these games? Or are you like, you know, whatever, man, we'll find out who we have when we find out? Uh, I mean, we we still been getting to it, so – uh, you know, we're we're working on the stuff that we got to work on, and then when the, when the games come, I'll probably watch one or two games. But it's all when that film comes on uh, after the game, and I'm able to sit down and actually lock in on who we're gonna face. That's all. That's all gonna tell me the story. Cause watching it on the on the TV is just like, oh, who's gonna win? It's not really like I'm really focused on what routes they're running, what's the quarterback doing. I'm, but I can see good plays. But I think that film's gonna show me a lot more. I can't wait to see whoever it is, whenever the game is. I can't wait to see the game plan y'all got for him. Marcus, best of luck in the playoffs, man. I appreciate you coming on. Sir, appreciate you having me. Thanks one more time to Marcus Williams for hopping on. I really appreciate that. And that takes us through this part of the preview anyway. Please, Eagles fans, Buccaneers fans, we haven't forgotten you. We're going to preview Tampa Bay, Philadelphia on Monday. It is the Monday night game, so once we get through these first five matchups, we will be sure to turn our attention to the Monday night finale, the last game of Wild Card Weekend. So we'll get to that later. But even without the preview, we have come to the last part of the show, which is where they force me to put my picks on the record. If you work in NFL media, this is what you have to do. It comes with the territory. I'm going to make some predictions, hopefully, they age well, or at least not too embarrassingly. So here in the studio, on the big wall, we have our 2023-2024 NFL playoff bracket. I am dreading this. Hopefully, like I said, when we get to the Super Bowl in a month, hopefully this will have aged. I'll settle for decently, just as long as it's not outright terrible. So I'm going to go through each round of the playoffs, make my picks, and wrap it all up with who I think will win Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. All right, let's get to it. We're going to start with the Sunday night game, the biggest narrative game, like I said, the L.A. Rams going to Detroit to face the Detroit Lions. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm riding the Rams wave right now. Seven and one in their last eight games. Their only loss was to Baltimore on the road. They're white hot. 
Matthew Stafford, I'm not saying he should win MVP, but he deserves to be in that conversation more than he is. I think the Rams are better right now than the Lions, and I got them winning in Detroit, setting up a divisional rematch in the divisional round against the San Francisco 49ers. What a game that would be. Moving on, like I said, I'll predict the Monday night game a little bit early. I want to pick the Eagles. They made the Super Bowl last year. All that talent is still there, but when when am I going to see it? And now Jalen Hurts is playing with an injured finger, hasn't thrown the ball most of the week. I want to pick the Eagles because they are the better roster, but they're not playing like it. Give me the Buccaneers at home. Give me the Bake Show. Baker Mayfield finding a way to get it done. Tampa Bay surprisingly advancing to the next round of the playoffs. And that would send them to Dallas because, look, I love Jordan Love. I love this Packers team. I just think the Cowboys are better. I think they're at home. I think it'll be nervous in the second half, but I got the Cowboys winning by 7-10, to 10, setting up Bucks-Cowboys rematch from last year and an NFC West divisional game. That looks a hell of a lot of fun. Let's take it over to the AFC now. Browns-Texans, the first game of the weekend, Saturday afternoon. I love C.J. Stroud so much, but I love the Cleveland Browns team that much more, even on the road. Browns won in Houston recently. I know C.J. didn't play, but the way Flacco's playing and that defense, I'll take it over a rookie quarterback. I got the Cleveland Browns advancing. They will face the Baltimore Ravens. Spoiler alert. Let's finish it, though. Saturday night in the frigid cold. Give me the Chiefs to win at Arrowhead. I said frigid. It's frigid. Give me the Chiefs to win at Arrowhead. They'll find a way to get it done. I just, I know weather's not everything, but I just, I can't trust this Dolphins team in those conditions. Wrapping it up, Bills, Steelers. Bills are favored by 10. And in a sloppy, messy conditions, cold weather game, I think it'll be closer than that. I think the Steelers will cover. I think the Steelers are better than they're getting credit for. But give me the Bills to win the game. Setting up. Oh, my gosh. Look how good that looks. Chiefs, Bills, and Browns, Ravens. So two division rematches in the divisional round. We love it. In the divisional round, Cowboys, Bucks. Not going to overthink this. Cowboys are a better team, and they would be at home in this scenario. Yes, I have the Cowboys getting through to the conference championship game for the first time since the 95 season. Flipping it over to the other side, Bills, Chiefs, Mahomes, Allen. Please, football gods, please give us this game. It's all we want. I'm riding the Buffalo Bills train. I know they haven't looked great the last two weeks. I don't care. They've got a team of destiny feel about them, and the Chiefs are flawed. Bills aren't intimidated by Arrowhead. They won there a few weeks ago. Give me the Buffalo Bills. Ravens, Browns, I think this is a sneaky, sneaky great game. I'm tempted to pick the Browns, but put some respect on the Baltimore Ravens. They hold serve at home. Lamar Jackson, the very likely NFL MVP, and our friend Marcus Williams advancing to the conference championship game. Finishing it off with the Niners and the Rams. Again, really, really tempted. The Rams are white hot, but no. The Niners, they didn't play anybody the other day against L.A. The Niners will advance at home. The Rams are very fun. They're still a flawed team. And look at this. Look how we wrap it up. Niners, Cowboys, Bills, Ravens. On one side, look, the Cowboys were my preseason Super Bowl pick. So am I, am I backing off of this? The short answer is yeah. And look, I know the Cowboys are a different team than in week five when the Niners crushed them, but the Niners are still more complete and they're playing at home. 
and I just have to see it to believe it. So as much as I want to put that star in the Super Bowl, I will take the Niners to hold home field. It'll be closer. If this game happens, it'll be better than the Week 5 game, but I'll still take the Niners to get the job done, advancing to Super Bowl 58. And then on the other side, Bills-Ravens. Marcus Williams, it was so nice that you came on. I hope you're not listening to this because, like I said, a team of destiny feel about Buffalo. We've seen them beat the Ravens in the playoffs before. Sean McDermott knows how to fluster Lamar Jackson. The Bills defense is playing great. And then Josh Allen, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, along with Dak Prescott, two of the three best quarterbacks in the league this year facing off. I'll take the Bills in a surprise upset to get there. What? I think they would have won eight straight games to get to this point. Maybe nine. Yeah. Niners Bills. I can get behind that. And then in the Super Bowl, I keep saying team of destiny, not that much destiny. Because if the Niners get to the Super Bowl against a team that's not Baltimore, I'm picking them to win. That's what I'm doing here. The number one seed, 49ers. Yes, the Ravens beat them, but that's why they call it a one-off tournament, folks. If if the Niners get there and don't have to play Baltimore, I'm picking them, and that's what I think is going to happen. The San Francisco 49ers, a quiet little late-season lull, does not change my opinion about this team at all, and I have got them winning their first Super Bowl since the 1994 season, finally getting off that losing streak. They've lost back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. It won't be the case here. All right, so that's that's my bracket. Feel free to screenshot this and call me a clown when it looks really bad in two weeks, but I feel pretty good about it as we sit right here. Famous last words before the games start, but we're here. It's now such a fun looking weekend ahead. We will be here on Monday to recap all of it. I'm so excited. I feel like I've said that 80 times this week. I don't care. It's 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 going to be incredible. And we will be here on Monday to walk you through everything that happened, all five games over the weekend. And then, like I said, we'll preview Eagles Buccaneers on Monday night as well. And we'll have that recap on Tuesday. We're, we're just keeping the train rolling right into the divisional round. Like I said, you want to be here. You want to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the YouTube channel. We are going just as strong as ever all the way up to the Super Bowl. And it starts on Saturday. Please enjoy the football. And I will talk to you all on Monday. Can't wait.